0: Oh, Matthew, Uh, and last time we here, we I talked about these crowns. uh, In it was based upon the text where he was talking about you know receiving the the prophet's you know uh, wages and the and the. the righteous man's or person's wages and whatnot. And we're like, you know, and we talked about, I asked you, what, what do you think that might be? You know, what do you think that might be? And, and uh, you know, there's, there's a blessing. It, actually, a couple of people came up and said some really nice things that I thought answered it very cleverly. In fact, very consistent with one another. Uh, as far as the righteous man's reward, you know, again, you know, if, you, if you're working alongside a minister, there's, there's satisfaction, there's joy in being able to see the fruit come from it. And that, in a sense, is a kind of a reward. It's a gift. Especially if you love Jesus, you love God, and you want to see people won over for, for Christ. That's what we want to do. We want to see people's life change, yeah? And so we can be supportive in, in, in a role of evangelism, in the role of ministry. Um, I know there's, there's folk back at home who are um, supporters. And just this last year, you know, we've, we've, we've made an effort to really get them involved <clears throat> with even the smallest details of our ministry. Just so they can feel the impact, and we had one fellow come out and visit us in the summer with a team in C- from CCPC. And, um, and, and again, you know, he, he was able to see it for himself, the things that he's been putting into for the last several years. And, and, and he, in a sense, was fired up. He was excited. He was. He was. He received a reward, like kind of the prophets or the you know the righteous person's reward, being able to support a ministry and see the benefits, see the fruits of the ministry, and that is a fantastic thing. So yes, that's a good explanation for that text. Uh, another thing is we we looked at about the whole being saved by you know by faith. You know, uh, being saved by grace, through faith, not by works. That's important because what Jesus is not saying is that you can earn salvation. If you welcome somebody to your house and if you treat them well, then you'll be saved. That's not what he's saying there. The te- and we went through a lot of verses. And I kind of looked at the, at, the, at the process as being a quick process. You got the bingo, bingo, bongo, you know, just a boom, 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 boom. It just, it just kind of happens quickly. First, he offers you this, this grace, through, you know, um, of salvation. Salvation, which is a, a gift of grace. And we receive it through faith, not by works. And then the next quick process is we're gifted with this Holy Spirit. We're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're made new. We're changed. And then the rewards come from basically just the response. That's the change and the growing, which I would call maturity. Just kind of growing up and following Jesus faithfully, trusting him. You know, it's, it's, it's not an overnight thing. Even Paul, as a, as a mature believer who wrote so much of the Old Testament, confessed that he had so much more to learn and so much more to grow. And he won't be complete until he's with Christ. So that's the idea, I think. And so with a growing and maturing, we we believe that what we do counts, and what we do matters. Uh, And then we looked at these various crowns, and I I listed four, uh, the four that we mentioned last time, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and the victor's crown, and the crown of glory. And I ended by asking, I don't know, what do you think these crowns are all about? What what, what do we do? What's what's the point? What's the purpose of these crowns? And again, uh, two people, different people, come up with the exact same answer, which is, I think, a good answer. It's kind of the textbook, you know, kind of uh, answer, which, which which I think, and I totally agree with, and I think I would like to share that with you, just so we can all benefit from this. If we can have the next slide, please. Basically, we gain these crowns for the glory of presenting them to the king in whom we have the honor to serve. Think about it. The Olympian, you know, in, in the great show Roman times, you know, they would, they would, they had the honor to, of, of running, of competing for the honor and the blessing of the king. So, the, so that in itself is just, it's, 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 it's glorious, it's it's honorable, it's right, it's, it's good, it's fulfilling, it's satisfactory. It's something that's just, it's an honor. And to win, and to win, and to be able to be seen by the king or the, you know, the royalty, and to be acknowledged for that, you, you would present. You're crowned to them, and so so it, it's just for the honor and the glory of doing something right for for the for the authority, you know, for the king. And in uh, Revelation four nine actually has um, a picture of worship. This is one of the first pictures in Revelation of worship in, in heaven, and a lot of. Um, um, conservative uh, bible scholars and or commentators believe that what we see here of these 24 elders um, is basically the church the church in heaven worshiping jesus worshiping god and it says in revelation 4 9 through 11 whenever the living creatures give glory honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and to and who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships. So basically we see, again, this a worship service, kind of like we have here today, a worship service. Falling before the Lord, falling, falling before God, the King of kings, the, the eternal one, falling before him and worshiping him, the one who lives forever and ever. And then what we see them doing here is they lay their crowns before the throne. And, and so what are these crowns? Where do they get them from? Well, maybe these are the crowns that we saw earlier, Right. And they're saying this. This is kind of a song that they're singing to him. You are worthy. Kind of like how we sing. But, we'll, but, but I believe and many others believe that this will be like us in heaven. It's continuing our worship of God. Singing out to him. You are worthy, O oh Lord God. And you know, again, the idea of, of someone who competes for the glory of the king. You, O God, are worthy. We cast our crowns before you. You're worthy You're to receive glory and honor and power. Because you created all things. And again, our God's a creator God. He created all things. He's like the engineer. He knows what's up within us. And he knows what's up within the world. He has got it all figured out. And so his will is very important. And we talk about his will a lot. And here they, they, they agree with that. By your will. By his simple desire. His, 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 his knowledge. His full, complete knowledge. His, his, his will. His desire. He created. And, and uh, they were created all created things. And have their being. And of course, that includes us. We were created, okay? And we have our very being because of just the idea, the mind of God. He wanted us to exist, so he created us. And he's got a plan, not just generally speaking, but individually speaking. You know, the, the Psalms talk about how God was with us, you know, when we were just in the womb, you know, knitting us together. So, it's, so yeah, as human humanity in the church generally, yeah, God has a plan and a will. Even as a church locally, he's got a plan and a will for us. But it goes even to the smallest details. As individuals, each and every one of us, God has a plan and a will. And, and this is them basically just celebrating God for just, wow, you didn't have to make us. You didn't have to create us. You didn't have to think about us. You didn't have to love us. You didn't have to die on the cross for us. You didn't have to do these things for us. But you did it. You are truly worthy, God. And so they're just giving them these crowns in adoration. Because it's, 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 it's satisfying. It's, it's, it's honorable. It's the right thing to do. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful act of service. So the process, again, and I put this down just to kind of conclude this, you know, in, in connection to what we learned last week, or two weeks ago, it's a process. We're not perfect, but we strive for maturity. We strive to, to you know, like Paul, you know, to, to compete and to win, you know, to, to, to run the race well, as he says. So the next slide, we're going to get into our text for this morning. Starting with Matthew eleven two. So, again, you know, this is after, you know, Jesus is explaining to them their mission, the disciples. And then he himself goes on to do some work. And he goes on to preach the gospel. He goes on the different various areas. And then he gets stopped at some point by um, some of the um, um, disciples of John the Baptist, who was his forerunner, the guy before Jesus. You know, if you remember him, he studied him earlier. And so it says here in Matthew eleven two, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? It's a fair enough question, right? I mean, hey, come on. There was a lot of expectations at the time of the Messiah. A lot of expectations. If you look at a lot of messianic texts and Isaiah and the Psalms and various portions of the Old Testament, it, it, the idea of this great, you know, glorious kingdom. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom as well. So they're a little bit confused. They're like, well, listen, are you coming here? Even his disciples, before he dies, he's like, so what's up with the kingdom? You know, or Actually even after he died When he came back you know, After rising from the grave He spent you know, 40 days of them teaching him about the kingdom And they're still kind of So what's up the kingdom There was still a lot of mystery Are you coming today They were expecting A lot of people were expecting This like military power That God was going to send To wipe out all those Heathen Romans and Greeks and Babylonians Everybody else And then finally establish A good righteous kingdom on earth That's what they're expecting But God had a different plan You know, and this plan is a redemptive plan, and that has to come to die on the cross and to start his kingdom spiritually, but yet still on earth. You know, but he's going to come back. He's going to come back again to to establish his kingdom fully and completely as they expected it here. So there's a lot of confusion, and John, he's like, "Come on, what's up with this?" And so, I mean, you look at this, you think, you know, was John in the flesh? You know, I mean, bear in mind he was in prison. He's going to die. You know, was he upset? Did he have a bad attitude? Ugh. You know, this is no fair, Jesus. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to come as a Messiah and, you know, free us from this kinds of stuff, these kinds of circumstances, this kind of oppression. What's up, Jesus? Come on. Or is this genuine concern? You know, I mean, because, again, you know, we, we all serve God in different capacities, and life isn't, you know, a bowl of cherries. There's going to be difficult times, and so sometimes we do have to struggle with fear and doubt. And I think John is very much so in this position. I mean, he's in a fearful place. He's locked up and he's, he's waiting execution. You know, he served God faithfully and genuinely. And now he's kind of going, well, what's up? Can I have some information here? You know, am I going to be rescued or am I going to die in this prison? So he it's right for him to have some fear and some doubt, right? And of course, like I said, you know, at this time, there's also a lot of false prophets and false messiahs. So it was quite common to see these false messiahs popping about and saying, "Oh, you were here to rescue you Israel," and he's thinking, "Is Jesus? Is, is he one of them? I don't know. I mean, do we need to wait for another one." You know, that's why he says, "Are you the one, or are we expecting someone else?" <laughs> you know, let's be real here. But, but then again, Paul, John believed everything, and he believed in his mission. He had believed in God. He believed in the message. He believed in even Jesus. He, he had total trust in here. But he's thinking, "Is there something else?" You know, what's, what's, what's up with this? And again, when we are in trials, we need to give, you know, we need to be um, sensitive to the fact that Satan is going to cause us a lot of doubt. Satan, especially when we're on our lowest, in the middle of a heavy trial, you know, Satan's going to be there to plague us, to, to rip us off from our joy, to, to confuse us, to um, cause doubt, and so very much so, this could be the situation here. This could be John's temptation, possibly. You know, he served faithfully. I mean, he did some pretty wild things. He was a rugged man for Jesus. A rugged man for God. But you know what? Space Satan's just winding him up. And you know what it's like when you're alone with your thoughts? He was very much alone with his thoughts. Um, but, I put Francis Schaefer there. Because I love his quote here. This is, some, this is what Francis Schaeffer used to say. When, and he used to deal with a lot of young people. And a lot of their deaf questions, and he would answer them faithfully because he believes that honest questions deserve honest answers. And I believe Jesus would probably agree with with Pastor Schaefer. He was around, you know, today. Well, he is around, but you know, John saying what's up, and so Jesus is going to answer him. And, 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 I, and again, like I would mention earlier, John struggling with doubts. You know, we all can struggle with doubts from time to time, especially in the uh, midst of painful circumstances. You know, uh, here he is sitting in Herod Antipas' prison, waiting likely execution, and he was afflicted with doubts about Jesus. So he asked these questions. Was he being cheeky? Was he being the flesh? Maybe he's the flesh. I don't know. Was he being cheeky? I don't think so. I think he honestly wanted to know, next slide, what's up? Come on, Jesus, what's up? What's, what's going on here? And basically, Jesus' response is this. Let's go tell people the good news. Go tell John the good news. Let's, it's, and that is in keeping with, basically, what the disciples were supposed to do anyways. Let's keep on reminding, even those who are in ministry and those who have served faithfully need to be reminded the good news. Because we can sometimes get overwhelmed by our ministry, overwhelmed by our circumstances. And we need to be reminded from time to time, the good news, the gospel. Right? And that's what Jesus said. He goes, listen, go back to John and remind him the good news. What's happening here? And so Matthew eleven four 4 to 6 says this. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on count of me. So he's like, just go testify. Go, go tell him the news. Just go and tell him what you see. And these are very important elements of the, of, of, of the characteristic, of the character, of and the calling of the Messiah. So basically he's saying, what you see here is proof that this is the Messiah, that I am the Messiah. You don't have to go back and tell him, yeah, Jesus says I'm him. Go back and tell him what you see. And I believe this is a good apologetics. You know, we learn apologetics, and one of the key elements of apologetics, we um, down here, see 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But put in your hearts, uh, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope you have. So as Christians, we have hope. We also have reasons for our hope. And so the word answers, we get the word apologetics from, apologia, right? But here's a beautiful apologetics right here. Look at what Jesus has done. And I think it's something that can be done at the most simplest level. I and mean, this, this doesn't have to be simple. It can be very complex. We can look at all the wonderful things that God has done, not just in our own lives, but in nature, which is what Apologetics does. It looks at nature and looks at what God's done in history and in nature. But also, what we do. The old school religion used to talk about the testimony. You know, the testimony. Testify what Jesus has done for you. But you know what? All we have to do is just talk about how you know God. How you've come to know in God. What you've seen God do in your life. That's what he's saying here. Look at what Jesus, look what God's done in your life. Go testify. And it's not just for unsaved people. Here, John, you know, he's, a, he's, he's, he's faithful. He believes. He's got some doubt he's struggling with. Other disciples had doubt as well. But they need some encouragement. And so this is a, another good way of encouraging somebody, using apologetics. Listen, this is what we've seen God do. This is what we know what God has done. This is what God has promised us that he will do. These are important things that are apologetic, but also very encouraging. And again, you know, I put here just the definition that blesses anyone who's not stumbled on my account. To stumble means to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way upon which another may trip or fall. It's used metaphorically to offend. Uh, I like this little part I added on the back of it. To begin it, it is trust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. So again, That's why I believe this is possibly a satanic situation that that John's encountered. He's left alone. He's got his doubts. And I believe Satan's whispering in his ears. He's trying to throw him off. And he's like, listen, don't be thrown off. Don't be stumbled on account of me. Don't be stumbled. In fact, you are blessed if you resist the temptations. If you do not become stumbled or stumble others. Uh, Next slide. So again, the Messiah, some very important um, things in the the back of John's mind. And this is why Jesus said these things. It's because it's in keeping of what was expected of the Messiah. In Isaiah 35, 5, 6, we've got some. There's tons of of Messianic scriptures in the Old Testament. Isaiah's got them. Like I said, Psalm's got a bunch of them. And and they're all over the place. But Isaiah's got some really good ones that I want to share, which were probably going on the back of John the Baptist's mind. Is this the Messiah? Is this the guy? And that's why he you know, he said the things that he said, Jesus said. And he's confirming with Isaiah 35, 5 to 6, for instance, where it says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So this is very much, it's almost like word for word, well, Jesus, in this, this, Isaiah was written, what? Several hundred years before you know, Christ. Several hundred years. And, and, and here, you know, he's like, look, at, here's the prophecy. Here's what we know as good Jewish boys, right? What's expected of the Messiahs, right? Well, this is what's happening. Need I say more? Isaiah 6, 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Again, when Jesus started his preaching ministry, he went right to the poor, the (laughs) brokenhearted, the captives, right? And he started ministering to them right away, touching them and healing them right away. And then when he started preaching, in his first sermon that we saw in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, it was all about this. The good news. Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Listen, God's kingdom is At hand. It's upon us. He's here. He's doing something. This is an exciting time. In fact, he's going to go on to say that John the Baptist, even though he does some great things, he's going to kind of miss out on some really amazing things that's just about to happen. God's doing amazing things. And it's not just for the rich. It's not just for the intelligent. It's not just for the powerful. It's for the poor. It's for those who mourn. It's for those who are hurting. It's for those who are thirsty and hungry. It's for the brokenhearted. For the captives. For prisoners. Okay? For the deaf, for the mute. It, 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 and it's it is for them to enjoy, to participate, to live. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And this is what Jesus is bringing. And this is what he has brought. And this is what the disciples are watching and observing. John is even he's very familiar with these things. He just needs to be reminded of these things. Same with us. If we're struggling, we're going through hard times and doubts. We know this is real. We know this is reality. But sometimes we need to be reminded So was John weak or wavering in his opinion about Christ? I think no, and I think Jesus thinks no too, and I'll tell you why. In Matthew 11, 7 through 8, as we continue on, as John's disciples were leaving, so he told the disciples, go and tell John, remember. Remember what's happening here. But as the disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see. So again, now he feels like he wants to he wants to give a defense, an apologia for John, because John was a right-on kind of guy. He did a good job. His ministry was exactly what it should have been. And Jesus is saying, "Yeah, what did you see when you went to the wilderness? Did you see a reed swayed by the wind, this little, little wimpy thing?" Was John weak? Was he wavering? No, he was strong. He was bold. In fact, he was kind of crazy. People went out to go check him out because he was so uh, right there. He was confident. And when he saw Jesus, he goes, there he is. He identified Jesus. And, you know, he was a very confident, bold man. He wasn't a wimp. So, um, but was John a political yes man? You know, again, kind of wavering. You know, okay, well, if you say so, I'm with you. Well, remember how he was like with the Pharisees. He sees the Pharisees. If he was going to be a wimp, he would have been a wimp back then. And pointed at him and said, what did he say to him? You brood of vipers. <laughs> That's not a way to make friends and influence people. And John, because John, again, he knew his message and he stuck to it. And he knew the, how important the message was. And so, of course, Jesus says, going, continuing through Matthew 11, 7 and 8. Um, if not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Well, No. Those who wear fine clothes were in the king's palace. Again, he wasn't a political yes man. You know, he didn't play the game and climb ladders. He had his job, his mission. It was a simple one, and he stuck to his guns. He was faithful to it. In fact, he was quite the opposite. These are my comments throughout the Talisides ones, by the way. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes. That's what John was. He was a prophet. He was the last of the kind of type of Old Testament prophets. Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one whom it is written. I love that Jesus, yeah, he's he's, he's, he's acknowledging how authentic John's ministry was. He was a prophet, but much more than a prophet because he pointed, he was a pointer. He was an indicator, something that should have got people, should have been looking out for because of the scriptures to, to get ready for me. And that's why it says here, he's quoting Micah here, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. John's that messenger who was sent to prepare people. Remember what he said his message? Be ready. Clear our way. Remember the whole idea we talked about, like, you know, clear a road for the king is coming. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. Make a way. Take away all snares and obstacles. Make it easy for the king to come in. Come into where? Come into your heart. Come into your mind. Come into your life. Next slide, please. So who was John? He was a prophet. Mark 1, 1 through 8 has more verses. Yes, that's him eating locust up there, by the way, in case you're wondering. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Looks like a pickle from here. Uh, John the Baptist prepares the way. And this is Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it was written in Isaiah the Prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for you. So we talked about that extensively. This is Mark's perspective, just to make it differently. But we looked at Matthew's perspective already. Prepare the way, Lord. Make a straight path for him. Get your hearts, get your minds, clear the rubbish out. Make a way for the king. The Messiah is coming. That's John's role kind of an important role. Even in these end times, we need that same person. We need somebody like Elijah. The church's job is to do this, to tell people to get ready. Jesus is coming back. He's returning. So make all that rubbish. Clear it out. Make an easy path for the Lord. Prepare the way. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance. Again, this is not a nice message. This is not a political message, should I say? This is not a way to make friends going out into the wilderness. First of all, he's kind of hiding away from people. He didn't go in the city. He went in the wilderness. So you had to kind of hunt him out. And then when you hunted him out, he's telling you you need to change. You're all wrong. So again, this guy wasn't a whip. He he taught he preached baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins to the whole Judean countryside. And to all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, and he goes on. on. So again, get ready for Jesus. Get ready for Jesus. John 1, 6, 8 says it quite, um, in quite a poetic way. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. See, he's like an evangelist. Believe in the light. The light, of course, is Jesus Christ who came into the world. Light representing goodness and truth and rightness. He himself was at the light, speaking of John the Baptist, but he came only as a witness to the light. So he's a pointer. He's at the light. He's not the Messiah, but he's here to get people ready to point to Jesus. Next slide, please, Robert. So he was a prophet, and he spoke the word of God, but he's much more than that, as Jesus said. He spoke the word of God, as a prophet should do, right? In the purest sense, of the, the word prophet is, a, is basically a mouthpiece of God's. But he was much more than that. He also was a pointer to Jesus. Get ready, Jesus is coming soon. In fact, he even pointed him directly when Jesus came to see him when he was baptized. Here is the Messiah. And so, Matthew 11, 9 to 14, as we continue on our studies in Matthew 11. Then he goes on to say, What did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days. So here he's talking about basically how things are going to change. Exciting times. John was the last of a great line of prophets. And he was great amongst all of them. But his life's going to end soon. And he's not going to be able to take part of these wonderful things that are happening you know, with Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. Of course, he will be in heaven. And he will, just like Abraham and all the, all, all the lovely righteous ones that we see in, in Hebrews 11, right? These are all ones who walked by faith all of Hebrews 11. I think John would be accountant in one of those. But he didn't get to experience the church and the birth of the church. So because of that, he's saying basically be grateful that you guys are taking a part of this kingdom of heaven which is at hand that's being birthed before you and guys we are in amongst that we are the result and the fruit of God's kingdom and his ministry right so we have the benefits of, of, of seeing Jesus and seeing the work of Jesus and his death and his resurrection the power and celebrating communion and, and, and look forward to his return that's a blessing John the Baptist never got experience any of those things And that's why he's got some doubt and some confusion because all he had was the Old Testament and some of the kind of speculation, all the crazy political, that's what he's saying here. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence. It was chaotic. And the violent people have been raiding it. Of course, the, the conflict of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the other cults that were about the time. But for all the prophets and the laws prophesied until John. So again, he is the last of that line. And if you're willing to accept it, He is Elijah who is to come. Okay, so basically, yes, he's again confirming John's ministry. Great ministry, but it pointed to a a bigger thing that's happening right here right now. And it's Jesus, it's his Messiah, the anointed one, establishing the kingdom of God, which is here at hand. And we all have a chance to participate in this. As we look back at what Jesus has done, and as we admit, acknowledge, and embrace what he's doing now, as we continue to look to the future, as he continues to unfold The wonders of his kingdom, as he ministers with the church and to the church. Um, But what's this Elijah business? He's that Elijah who was to come. Next slide, please. His role was something like that of Elijah, and these verses come from Malachi. How you say it, Malachi? Malachi. There we go. So Malachi 3, one says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So here, it's a promise. This is um, uh, a direct quote for uh, pointing to, to um, uh, John in the scriptures of Matthew 11. I will send my messenger. That messenger is John who will prepare the way. That's exactly what he has done. That's his rule. Then suddenly the Lord, that's Jesus, who you are seeking will come to his temple, Temple, the messenger of the covenant. Okay, and the messenger means he has come to fulfill that covenant. You know, it's interesting how he's the messenger of the covenant. And we talk about in the communion, it's a new covenant that was signed by his blood. Whom you desire. That's whom you're looking for, the anointed one, the Messiah. You know? And then Malachi 4, 5 to 6 says this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you. Now, of course, when this is written, Elijah, the prophet was already lived. He didn't die. He was sent up to heaven. So they're looking forward to another Elijah, another type. And and some commentators will say that there's actually two different types. There's the, the literal rendering of this when there might be another return. And we see in Revelation, another return of two prophets. And one of those might be Elijah. But also we see John the Baptist, who is very much so fits this role. If you read the text, it makes sense. I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Of course, it's talking about the day um, of judgment when he comes the second time. But also applies to this first coming too because a similar kind of ministry, he will turn hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Again, to change people, to deliver people, to make people sensitive of his coming, to get people ready for Jesus. That's his job, to get people ready for Jesus. And I believe, again, the church has kind of that important role still today to get people ready for Jesus. So, in conclusion of what we learned so far today, John the Baptist, he needed a reminder that this, this, is, this isn't just another cute story. Okay, We need to remind that for ourselves, that we learn from the Bible, from the gospel, what Jesus does and did do. It's not just another cute little story, like little arc story you know even though the arc story isn't a cute little story it's, it's reality and there's going to be another arc story in the future of a type a different kind because Jesus won't God says he'll never flood the world again but there will be a different kind of coming a different kind of judgment that's yet to happen and that's why here Jesus says ends this statement he ends this kind of discourse of the ode of John the Baptist by saying whoever has ears let him hear why did he say that? Why do you say that? Whoever has ears, let him hear. Basically, he's saying, pay attention and be moved to action. Don't just listen and go, hmm, that's interesting. But be moved. Respond to the message. Whoever hears, let him hear It's a warning. Why is he saying that? Because what's he saying is, what's happening before us is prophecy being unfolded. God's work. God planned this a long time ago, and we're seeing it happen. It was fulfilled through John, and it's being fulfilled through Christ. God's moving. He's doing something. So get ready. Get ready. That's what he's saying here. And he's confirming that what John did was legitimate. And what Jesus is doing, he doesn't have to say is legitimate. All he has to say is, look around. Look what I'm doing. I'm doing the work of the Messiah. Go tell John that. Encourage him about that. And what John did was right. But listen, guys, and he's addressing the crowd now. But you need to pay attention to the greater heart depth of the message. John's job was to get people ready for Christ, as we said, several times. But most people in this time missed the message. A lot of people didn't get it. Even the religious astute didn't get it. In fact, they're the furthest away. But Christ, for us, here and now, he's coming again. He's coming again. So the story doesn't end with Jesus and John. The story continues for us today. And we need to ask ourselves, are we ready For Jesus' return. Jesus came. A lot of people weren't ready. He's going to return. That's what he says. The scripture is filled with it. Are we ready today for him to return? So we don't want to miss the message. In fact, if anything, we want to get the message and offer the message to others, right? We want to pass the message along. That's the job of the church, disciples. We don't want to miss the boat. And that's why I put the ark there. Don't want to miss the boat. And you can already see a lot of the symbolism behind that. Won't be an ark next time, but we still don't want to miss the boat.